Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay, from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with me is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh. And with us, as always, is our trusty, dusty, research extraordinaire, audio, note-taker, commentator. (laughs) (laughs) Now he's adding Uh, his own title. (laughs) He's got a face for podcasting. Is that what he does? Yeah, you're right. No. Not not at all. Ear candy, yes. Jason Rugg. Hey. Hey, Jason. All right. So last time we were together, we were talking about working in the garage of Bill Ebel's house. He is your editor. That's correct. Lives in Columbia, Tennessee. Mule Town, to be exact. Mule Town. Just that's outside of Nashville. Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. 45 minutes south. Okay. And so we were hearing about the struggles of subtitles and we even really haven't gotten to the editing part of it, which is a crucial, crucial role. I remember, so I don't know if you know this or not, but I did a year of film school. I do remember Dude. that. One of my favorite uh, exercises we did was is the instructor gave all of us a film of a what appeared to be a bank robbery. And there were guys with guns, people in a bank, and interactions going on. But then they told us to edit it however we wanted to. And what was so neat was there were probably 10 different films that were made from this exact same footage, and they were 10 very different stories told because of the way people edited it. You know, And so editing really makes the film. But <laughs> It does. But you're not the editor, Christian. I mean, you're everything else, but you're no, not the editor. No, I'm not the editor. I do not have the technical capabilities to pull that off. Um, and Bill is crucial. Um, and I will say... Bill is not just an editor, which is exactly why he's a perfect partner for me. Um, Bill grew up as the son of Bob Ebel. Um, If you guys don't know who Bob Ebel is, you should look him up in his work. Look at the try-on commercials, especially the one where he kicked him in the... Oh, penis. That that is one of the funniest... Anytime I think of Bill Ebel, that's what I... Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, think of I guess. <laughs> I know. Well, his dad, his dad did. He was the one that sort of pioneered how to use children and what they really say and really do and really think in commercials. Um, he's a master marketer and he's just great with kids. And so Bill grew up under his tutelage. He worked for him for a while. Um, and Bill has this wonderful same knack that his father has of storytelling. And so um, he worked under a very strong director. So he has good directing instincts. He's also got a great eye, so I've watched him as a photographer and a camera guy. I really respect him there. Um, and, you know, he just, he, he's got a, he's able to do everything himself. He could write, he could direct, he can produce, he can edit. And so because he has all that other experience, it makes him a super well-rounded partner. So not only was he editing, but I mean, I would try out just about everything I would write on him and say, this is what I'm writing. What do you think about this? You know, he would say, well, what are you imagining here? You know, well, what I imagine is this. And we worked in a collaborative way where, um, you know, it's a real give and take. He spoke a lot in to the writing. He spoke a lot into, you know, the visuals that we would use. But he also was super encouraging to me and empowering to me. Um, where some people may see that I was floundering and take you know take control and enact their vision he didn't he worked with me to help me crystallize what he has heard me tell him before and um so he was far more than just an editor 
And for this project, that was what I really needed. Sound like he's kind of like a, a guide almost, you know, helping He was you. an Indian guide, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and I felt very supported, very empowered, very challenged. Uh, the great thing about Bill, we have a, a good chemistry in that. I'll say I want to do this, or here is my idea. And Bill will be like, okay, well, what about this? And sometimes he'll say, no, I don't like that, or no, I don't agree with that. But if I push back... He'll rethink. So I, one time he was like, he edited something, and I said, um, well, can you do this? And his first answer was no in his head. But then he's like, well, let me try. And he did it, and it worked out better. So in a sense, he trusted my storytelling mm-hmm. instincts, and it pushed him to try something he didn't normally think would work. Um, that was in relation to our story about Willie Kellerman. And when you guys see the film about Willie Kellerman, oh my goodness. He, he didn't think Willie should be included. He didn't think it was a very powerful scene. I was imagining something in my head that I thought was super powerful. I challenged him to figure it out, and he did. So, um, you know, we worked collaboratively like that, and I do think that that worked well for our project in the end. But you know how you were talking about you can take some footage and 10 stories could come out? Yeah. I did have a moment of realization where I realized I had incredible power. (laughs) And that was when I had somebody say something, but I really wanted him to say something else. (laughs) And so I was like, hmm, I can make him say whatever I want. (laughs) And and that's why Bill told me when he was working on Overcomer, they had this whole edit where like— Overcomer is a new film coming out from the Kendrick Brothers? Brothers, Yeah. yeah. So he was working on Overcomer, and I think the editors put together something like that where they took situations and scenes and they made them, they edited them to be like nothing like the people said or did. And Was this just to be for fun? Yeah, this is for fun. (laughs) And at the end, it's like, like, don't mess with the editors. <laughs> you know? or, or you'll get this. <laughs> right, because they have incredible power. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. So I can't imagine that all director-editor relationships work like, you know, in this collaborative, you know, way. You know, I'm sure there's got to be tension and butting of heads and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Did you ever, in your six weeks working with him in, this, in his garage, ever get to a, a point where, like, you had to – Lay down the law and say this is my film, or it's just never, never. But, the, but that's because we're both people pleasers. <laughs> I, I think, um, and we value the other so much. I mean, I cannot say enough how much I feel valued and respected and supported by Bill, and how I respect, support, and value him as well. Um, and so that mutual respect, we, we've, we may have a different way of seeing things, but the way we communicate about that is super healthy and positive. And so um, I've never felt belittled or, um, you know, anything by Bill or disdained or – and he has good boundaries. Like he is super good about his boundaries. Um, and he, like I'll give you a perfect example. He wrote me this morning and told me he was taking the morning off, which I was like, what? Are you freaking kidding me? Uh, my guess is he's going to see Endgame with his wife. <laughs> he told me he was taking the morning off and taking his wife to a movie. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And and then I wrote him back and I was like, did you see my email? You know, Did you see my email this morning? And he didn't respond. 
on to me. <laughs> and so, like, some, uh, you know. I'm, I just told you I'm taking <laughs> exactly, the morning. Exactly. And so, like, you know, he'll come back and he says, I'll be in my chair at noon. We'll talk at noon and I will have accepted his boundaries and not be mad about it and stuff like that. So, um, I, you know, he's just a super healthy person and um, that makes our relationship so, work. So, but, but I would say to answer your question, I think every director editor relationship is unique to the people in it. I do not think there is one relationship. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you get like, I think you mentioned this in the last podcast about, you know, having people, how'd you phrase that with the right metal? Mm -hmm. Made of the right metal. Made of the right metal, you know, and so not just in your family and support system, but the people you choose to work with. Yeah. Uh, And also, you you know, there are disadvantages of not having a studio to back you, not having money. But on the other hand, I mean, you have no one breathing down your neck telling you you can't do this. Well, that's totally why I didn't take investors. Oh, I see. Mm. You know, I knew if I, you know, any any fiduciary relationship, it's like marriage, right? So when you go to work in a production thing and you have contracts and stuff like that, it's it's akin to a marriage. And that's even heightened when there's money involved. And I watched project after project get embroiled in these legal battles over money stuff. And I was like, I don't want that pressure. I have enough pressure everywhere else, and I know if I have in people invested, they're expecting a return. Mm-hmm. That's going to put undue pressure on me. And so I chose to self-fund and to take donations um, as opposed to having investors or corporations or it, you know, any other studio involved. Because it's not just them getting a return on their money. It's They probably have a vision, and when they right. see it, it's not in alignment – and hey, I'm giving you money. Then it becomes arguments, yeah. Right. Our donors have been so incredibly supportive. I mean, that's the thing. They buy into my vision. They, um, you know, they see what we're doing. They want to be a part, and they're contributing to that out of the graciousness of their hearts. And so it's just a different buy-in. Did when you said you decided not to get investors, did you? Consider that at one point and then yes. come to that conclusion? I had a partner early on who's like, no, you can't go the nonprofit route. You have to go the investor route. And I was like – and I even had somebody that was willing to give us $10,000 to invest. I'm like, I didn't like the person that was willing to give us the money. I didn't trust him. And um, even though that money was there and it would get us started, I didn't want it. And so you know, I had to make a decision early on um, how I wanted to go about things. Well, let's uh, shift gears for a minute. Uh, when we came in today, we had uh, Jason and I had an opportunity to see Act One of the film. So this is very exciting to yeah. hear all about the film and see little clips, but actually see the opening Act One of the movie. So very exciting. And having you know known you for years and hearing about this, and there's been amazing stories that have come from it, and you, you just kind of wonder what is this going to. <laughs> to look like, right? Plus, I'm a first-time filmmaker, and you're like, you have to be a little scared that, like, <laughs> does she really know what she's doing? Is this going to suck? Right. And, and also, at the same time, I, you know, I, 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 have, I don't have the exact same experience that you had, but I've made projects, and people watched it, and I just you get that sick feeling of, like, what if they hate it, you know? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. And then I, I tend to hate things more that I do than other people think about. <laughs> yeah, you know? you're so <laughs> self-critical. Right. Yeah. But I gotta say, I want, I want Jason and I to kind of share a little bit. I would like to hear. Right. So Jason, you why, you know, like, what were your takeaways from seeing? It was like 15 minutes at the beginning of the film. I, I mean, I, I've seen some parts of it from before. Like we've seen clips, 
And to see it all come together and see the story really start to grow and just build to the point where I'm feeling tension and emotion and sadness and happiness all at the exact same time. It was a really interesting combination of emotions that I've rarely felt while watching other documentaries. Um, particularly just the, the gratefulness that comes through. It was it was beautiful. It was a beautiful piece, and I'm really glad you shared it with us oh, thank at this you. stage. So, thank you. Yeah, and that's just the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You had said something about um, when you first watched it. You thanked me. Why did yeah. you thank me? I'm just so glad this story is being told because, like, I, I always grew up with my my parents or my grandparents were depression babies, and so I've always heard stories of them growing up and you know people who'd served coming back and. Um, honoring them in parades and everything. And to get to see it, even though it's a completely different culture and different country, but to see them still to this day honoring that sacrifice, is it was very moving. It was beautiful. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. So I've heard you share your story of how you got in this film many times. And that's the opening is, you know, that you weren't really familiar with D-Day and your, <clears throat> your son Hunter was in the Army and so forth. So I've heard it many times. And so to me, I had to like, okay, I got to hear this story again, right? Not, not, it's a great story, but it's like, I've already heard this, so what's new here, right? And then you ask the question, you know, why are people in France, you know, so thankful and showing this outpouring of love every year, decades now, right? You know, 75 years later. And so you ask this question, and all of a sudden that grabbed me, and then the question begins to be answered, where these, these people from France, when they were little children, when it happened, they're telling these stories. And I was surprised by, like, what you said, you know, the, the emotion of it, yeah. that it, it caught me off guard, that yeah. I was very moved by it. And the other thing, too, is, is you are a first-time filmmaker, and so it's kind of like you, you're you like, well, we're going to take this with a grain of salt or whatever. And this looks sharp. Like, I mean, it, it is it really like does. it is well done. And the other thing, too, is like so often you when you don't notice something, it's kind of like a paint job. Like when you paint your house, no one really notices like, wow, what a great paint job. But if you mess up. They oh, totally are like, you can, you can like, what happened here, right? You know. <laughs> right. So if the lighting was bad, or if the music was obnoxious, or whatever, all of a sudden those things stand out. And one of the things that surprised me was how much I loved the music, because in the middle of it, it occurred to me like, wait a second, who wrote the music? And is this the actual music? Because it wasn't this some guy that volunteered to do this. <laughs> I, you know, I, I wasn't expecting it to be this good from a volunteer, right? You know, so. Oh my goodness, Jeff Kurtnacker from LA. He's a video game composer up to this point, oh. but he's always wanted to compose for films. And uh, he does have a fabulous story. I don't know if you've read his blog post, but um, it's called Scoring Freedom and Hope, I think. And it's on our website, but he talks about how he got involved. And um, it, it entailed hearing about this on the podcast, his wife saying, you should call her. He did, and I responded right away. And it turned out that I was in Las Vegas at the time, and he was in L.A., and so I was like, if you can drive over right now, we'll interview you. And he drove over for dinner at 7 p.m., three <laughs> hours or four hours, had dinner with us, met. I loved him right away, and he drove all the way back, you know. Wow. And, you know, just his willingness to do that um, was, was amazing. But his, 
um, giftedness has blown me away. Usually the way it traditionally works is that you have picture lock, then you hand it off to the composer to score the whole thing in one breath. We have asked Jeff all the way along to compose things and give us ideas without ever seeing the film. Oh, wow. And so he's had to do that, and then we've asked him to do it act by act. And... Um, and so he's just kind of, and what you heard is not even, it's just the, like, it's just sort of the rough track synth mm, version. Um, you know, he still has a lot to do to it to make it a full thing. But I mean, what you, and what you watched isn't color corrected. It doesn't have sound effects. Um, there's still little pieces missing that we haven't finished. But um, what about the subtitles? Uh, you know, did you notice oh, anything about great, the subtitles? Great subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got to give Michelle Coupe, our producer in France, props for that. Um, she's been doing that all the way along. She had to, you know, translate all of the French uh, stuff into English, and then she had to take my VO and translate it into French. So it's a completely subtitled film. When I'm speaking, it's French. When our French people are speaking, it's English. Mm -hmm. um, did they bother you or anything like that? No, no, but subtitles don't normally bother me anyway. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought it it was really good. I I, I don't like it when things are dubbed. Mm -hmm. So I I really love that you could still hear the emotions and the hesitations in the original recording, and still read what they're saying because I don't understand French, right. but still feel what they're feeling. Yeah, isn't French beautiful? Yeah. I love we. that they're speaking their language, and it's just oh, wonderful to hear. Um, okay, so the most important question, did you want to see Act 2? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I was a little disappointed when it ended. Because you know, okay. it was leading up to something, like, oh, what's going to happen next? Well, so. just for those of you who – the Act 1 is basically just, um, you know, D-Day. It's like the euphoric stuff of D-Day. But we do go from euphoria into other things. So it, we are taking you on an emotional journey. It, it blesses me that you said this was emotional because my hope is that you will feel deeply the emotions of these people um, as you watch this. No, and I really think it was the, it was the people who were speaking, telling those stories, and like Jason said, hearing their voice and everything is what – got me the most. Mm -hmm. So I, and, I can't wait to hear more. And the fact that we've been hearing about it for, what, two years now, <laughs> and it's still got us. Right. Yeah. Is really telling. That is so super exciting to me. Bill says he's spent so much time with these people. He's like, I'm in love with these people. <laughs> I'm like, welcome to my world. Like, we, we have fallen in love with these French people. They're just amazing. And uh, he's like, I'm going to get over there for the premiere, and I'm going to be running up to them hugging me. They've never met me. They're going to think I'm a freak. <laughs> but I'm so glad to hear that. Yay. All right. Well, hey, thanks, everyone, for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Jason. <laughs> Goodbye, Jason. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>